everybody, and welcome back to another edition of At the Devil's Ball, the podcast where we talk about horror, uh, horror films, and horror genre in a positive and constructive manner. Uh, I'm Nathaniel, and I'm Samuel. And uh, this week we've got a very special guest on. Um, before we bring her up, we're just going to mention um, this film does uh, the film that's in question this week is uh, discussing some. Uh, potentially triggering uh, aspects. Of course, that is sort of the point of the film is to sort of discuss uh, one of the points of this film as our, as the filmmaker Michelle Ness will tell us when she comes up uh, that um, it's supposed to be kind of confrontational about it, but it is, there is aspects of sexual assault very vividly, I think in this film that, and it will be involved in this conversation. So I uh, just wanted to give that heads up to our listeners in case um that is an extremely sensitive topic to you. That is, again, the film is is meant to discuss these things in a way that uh, is very um, uh, constructive, uh, to maybe put it bluntly. I, I'm always afraid I'm going to say the wrong thing when I say these types of things. But um, but uh, with that, uh, just wanted to give everybody the heads up that uh, we'll be talking about some very heady subjects this week um, here on At the Devil's Ball. Uh, it's probably also one of the heaviest films I think we've ever covered. Um, and uh, normally we, we're used to B-movie stuff, so uh, there may be a little bit less comedy in this episode. Right. because. Uh, but, um, but we'll still try to have fun with it. Um, we've got the filmmaker up, and I'll in, uh, let's introduce her right now. Uh, we've got, uh, she is the writer, director, and star of the, this week's film, O Unilateralis. I think I said that right. Uh, as well as a couple of short films. She's an award-winning filmmaker. Uh, she's a wonderful person. She's a very good friend of mine. Uh, so let me rep- uh, present uh, Michelle Nesk. Hey, guys. Thank you for having me. Well, thanks so much for coming. That's yeah. A pleasure. We're always tickled when uh, when filmmakers actually want to talk to us about their work because um, we're not that important. So um, so thank you for taking time to uh, to talk to us about your work. No, seriously, thank you so much for having me. You guys are just as important as anyone. I suppose. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, so uh, did I say the name of the, of the film right? Oh, you know, a lot of Rallis? It's, uh, yeah, you were close. Oh, unilateralis. Oh, unilateralis. Yeah, or the British voice in the beginning. Oh, mm-hmm. unilateralis. Okay. Yeah. Right. And uh, so this film, uh, before we get started, it has a, a pretty unique way of, uh, there's a pretty unique method in order to get uh, a copy of this film. Did you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so it's, um, it is in the process right now of being remastered. And uh, it's, it's prior remastering is touring festivals now. And the ultimate remaster is being made for when it goes into distribution. Um, I've worked it out with what company I'm going to be doing distro with. Uh, I turned down a lot of bigger companies, not because I didn't want to be part of them, but because there's something I want this movie to do and I want it to be able to help raise funds for people who are in danger from DV and SA and be able to contribute to helping people get away from that and make their lives better. I hope that made sense. 
Mm -hmm. um, so, and uh, I do have the original format, which is available uh, sometimes. It's really like it's around my birthday or special holidays is the rule. But if you find a way to contact me, <laughs> then, you know, and you're like, hey, I want to see this movie. My thing is, is I will send you a link to a woman's shelter or a DV shelter in particular that I want to contribute to. And I will be like, here's the link to this shelter. Show me a receipt of a minimum donation of $25 and you will have your own downloadable digital version of the original piece that will never see the light of day. So, you know, it's, so it, it's raised quite a bit of funds that way. I don't have them put my name in. I have them put their own name in. They're the ones making the donation. And that's what's important to me is that that's getting done. Especially, I started doing it, especially uh, when, when COVID happened, mm -hmm. because uh, a lot of events that I work with that raise funds for these shelters weren't able to go on because they were public events. And um, so I was like trying to think of like a way because I honestly like, it just makes me feel better in my days knowing that like people can get help out of situations where I've seen others um, not have those resources. So, yeah. Well, that's very cool. So, but so if, uh, if people contact you, they can, uh, they can make a donation and receive the film. Uh, that's, that's essentially the only way to see it at this, uh, at this juncture, right? Um, as far as the unreleased version. Oh, yes. okay, right. Yeah, uh, the, uh, the released version is touring festivals now. Um, it's been winning quite a bit of awards, which yep. is exciting. And um, yeah, and then uh, the ultimate remaster will be going towards a distributor who will be, um, they will of course take what, they've their earnings from it for themselves that's fair because they're providing the platform right but um anything that would normally uh go to uh myself is actually going toward um a shelter so you know it's it, one of the biggest things is uh there aren't enough shelters mm -hmm. and they can really help turn people's lives around so you know, it's a lot of people don't leave domestic violence situations because they don't have anywhere to right. go. And these shelters existing means that that they can leave. Like they, there's one less excuse to stick around because the more resources there are, the better it is for everyone. Great, yeah. Um, so yeah, we'll... we'll uh... We'll jump into this film. Um, so uh, uh, I guess to, well, actually, before we jump into the actual content, um, uh, tell us a little bit about the process of, uh, of, uh, of making this film. Uh, you chose the found footage format, and, um, and I wanted to know if you wanted to talk a little bit about that. Why, why did the film, how did the film come about? How did the film uh, get made in, in, the, in the way that it has, uh, if that makes sense? It's, well, um, so it's based around a conspiracy theory that I uh, 
kind of instantaneously came up with when watching in 2012, while watching a bunch of very strange events take place, uh, you know, like the uh, the Miami zombie, mm -hmm. the Jersey devil, the uh, the man in Poland who ate his wife's face, the anesthetician who was slamming his head into his car door while driving down the uh, freeway. Um, like there were a lot of these incidents and they all spanned around a uh, chemical spill that happened at an airport in Miami. I think it was Fort Lauderdale. Um, and uh, there were these incidents where like the, uh, there was a school bus that they were out for a sports meet for some sport balling and they ended up getting a rash and hazmat had to come and keep everybody there. So it was very strange, you know, watching all this occur. And all I could think was like, wow, what if, you know, right now zombies are all the rage because uh, the walking dead and, you know, mm -hmm all that was going on. What if whatever spilled at the airport was something that makes people more impressionable? And what if it makes it so, you know, whatever is like the main entertainment, the main fad at that moment, a person can be conditioned into doing something with like little to no effort, right? If I go missing, you mm -hmm. know what? Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> it's a joke. Um, yeah. So I thought it was strange, you know, and then my brain was like, hey, hey, what if, what if it, instead of a chemical, it was zombie fungus, you know? And then, um, cause at the time uh, it had, unilateralis has evolved where it can, it can now um, attach to avian animals, like, you know, birds right. and deer can get it now that used to not be the case we used to sleep well at night knowing it could only get insects right. and that's not true anymore so I thought you know maybe that's like what it's all about that would be interesting and I started writing the story because I am not the kind of conspiracy theorist who actually believes the theories I just think it's fun coming up with them and then writing stories based around them you know, like yeah. there's, yeah, you know, it's an understanding of where the imagination begins and reality, you know, kind of ends. Um, so yeah, and so I started writing that and I wrote it for about two and a half years. And then um, after that, it was a lot of people had been waiting for me to make my first um full feature uh story because uh, before that it was shorts and then the horror anthology horrors of the pnw where um i help other filmmakers produce their shorts and then present it in a silent film horror host persona and it's a lot of fun and i do that with crypticon seattle is who i open with on that uh annually and um so yeah, this, this was my first full feature narrative. And um, I wanted to do found footage, one, because it worked within the budget that I knew for sure I could raise. And two, found footage is my most favorite subgenre next to zombies. So, you know, it, it just, it, 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 it felt right. Plus I knew that 
it could be done in such a way where it would still look good and somebody wouldn't look at it and be like, ah, oh, this is just like what they couldn't afford. Right. What a, you know, instead it's like, this is a found footage film. <laughs> you know, and like <laughs> to also be part of my favorite genre. And that's really, really freaking cool. Definitely, definitely. So how did the story evolve to, to becoming, uh, uh, having the undercurrent of social uh social issues because the the zombie aspect of the film is actually very very much at the end right um uh you know uh how did it how did it evolve to to become a uh, a personal statement about um uh social issues that was the end goal all along mm -hmm. um it was basically you know, sitting down, uh, we ask ourselves these hypothetical questions all the time, like, what would you do if you were stuck in the apocalypse, and how hard would you fight to live, and, um, you know, everybody spoke like they were an expert, and it was kind of like, wow, all these people are talking about how hard they would fight to win, but, like, they would be opening themselves up to like the worst dregs of humanity in the process. And then like, you know, I'd lay there each night thinking about how I'd want the story to unfold. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, uh, I don't know how to admit this without, uh, you know, revealing my entire hand, but uh, yeah, almost everything I make, yeah, no, everything I make has a commentary behind it. You know, whether it's commentary of what it's like to be in the world as a queer person or in the body of an AFAB person, right? Um, yeah, there's always commentary in what I'm making. And a lot of it is, well, it centers around like rape culture, abuse culture, misogyny, and just bigotry, you know, because it's a major issue. And I think ultimately, it leaves me wondering, you know, when I'm writing a story and I have to allow myself to get into this pessimistic point of view, which I definitely did with Unilateralis, was what is there that's worth saving when you see the most depraved parts of humanity? Mm -hmm. And like how much of this is like, if it's a societal learned behavior, then how did society learn it in the first place? Right. And how did society become so conditioned as to accept it? And, you know, so it's a lot of the times, I think the scariest thing to me, and I wanted to scare myself, was leading me to a point of like, well, what if we as a species don't actually deserve to live? Maybe we as a species are just fucking awful. Mm -hmm. And um, sorry for the F-bomb. No, I, I can easily cut- but We swear all the time on here, so don't. Okay. Oh, good, thank you. Yeah. Uh, I should have asked first. I keep doing that. No. Um, <laughs> but, I, I've got know, a sailor's mouth, so I we, we learned pretty quick that I, we're just gonna drop bombs whenever we want. <laughs> that sounds good to me. But um, yeah, so basically that's, that's the goal for me is to scare myself so badly with like the spooky story to where 
I'm not even sure if like I want to stand on this rock anymore. And and because that's a scary thought to me. It's I love existence. I love humanity. I think humanity is so fucking cute. Like, you know, the way we smell flowers and we snuggle and we get little blankets all just, just cozy. <laughs> like, fuck, we're cute little right. species. And um, it's, you know, we're like the, the mm, what's the word? I'm, I'm just having a really hard time thinking of the word. But uh, we're like bipedal otters. So otter, otters right. are monsters yeah. So, yeah you know it's so you know it's but then um so yeah the scariest thing to me is losing faith in the human species that's that's the ultimate horror ending for me mm -hmm. and that's what you've got and that's essentially what this film is is um uh it's i it's it's an interesting film to, I think, attack. Uh, and before we do that, I mean, Sam, did you have any questions you wanted to ask while we're still in the interview phase before we jump into the... Um, no, I've, I've, we've already covered um, like the impetus for, for making the film and everything like that. That was, that was kind of what I was going to ask. Um, okay. Because I, I promised Michelle that we wouldn't just be an interview, really. It was supposed to right. be a conversation. Um, and so, uh, so we'll jump into it. Um, so the film essentially follows, uh, it follows three characters. Uh, there are, are two men who are friends. Uh, they're going to go on an annual road trip. They invite a young woman along. Um, she has lived a sheltered life. Um, there are, we'll, and we'll talk about this, there are hints of possibilities of what might happen as a horror film um, that uh, kind of move along until it slowly escalates to the point that uh troy the character who is holding the camera the whole time in found footage tradition is a pile of garbage um and um because almost it, it's it's something i wrote down almost every found footage movie has the guy holding the camera usually ends up being kind of a dick it's really kind of an interesting yeah i wonder and i wonder if that's intentional or not and that's something that will, i will ask michelle about as a fan of it and as someone who's made it um it slowly becomes more and more apparent that Troy has some bad intentions towards the character of Abby, which is played by Michelle herself. Um, uh, and you are, Michelle, you are okay with the she, her pronouns. We've talked about this in other podcasts, but I want to make it clear to uh, our, our audience and Sam, if you're okay mm -hmm. with those pronouns. Yes, I'm uh, gender fluid. Uh, mm -hmm. So he, she, or they is perfectly applicable. Okay. I, I should have made that clear at the beginning of the show, but um, well, I just wanted to make sure that you were okay with that. Um, uh, sure. Um, and um, he's got some, some attentions towards Abby. Uh, I don't think, and we'll talk, we're going to dump dive into that uh, pretty quickly, I think. Uh, ultimately resulting in well there's a side there's a side bit where abby is uh goes to a bathroom comes back basically mentioned she's been bitten and or vomited on by right. a strange individual um they then go they arrive at their destination finally and troy uh well one of the men goes off the other guy kevin goes off to seek help for abby's uh attack troy then uh uh, rapes Abby on camera 
um, uh, in an agonizingly slow uh, sequence, which places us, the viewer, through the eyes of the actual assaulter. Uh, it's one of the most disturbing things I've ever sat through, I think. Um, and, um, and I say that with, with, uh, with awe, really, not, not, uh, not as a criticism. I think it's brilliant, but it's, uh, it's a very tough watch. Um, and, uh, and we'll get into that a little bit more in more detail. But, and then ostensibly the ending of the picture is uh, the assault is interrupted. Um, Kevin then takes Abby away, to, to, away from Troy. Uh, Abby then becomes a zombie, kills Kevin, and then kills Troy um, in, uh, in a great last line, in my opinion, of, uh, you know, the Troy, there is no God is a fantastic last line uh, of the picture. Uh, and then we have the bumpers of, uh, the, of how the footage was found, who found it, and his response to it. Um, is that, does that sum it up well enough, you think, Michelle? Or I don't want to give, I, I gave away the ending. I hope that's okay, but... Uh, well, uh, I'm totally down with dissecting it. And I think uh, this one piece in particular, it's okay to give spoilers because I think a person should be fully informed before watching such a thing. This is not something I knew instinctually right away. And I have to admit that um, I learned that the hard way. And uh, so I, I don't actually have any qualms with spoilers on this because um, I think a person should be fully informed of what they're going to see. Yeah, I, I actually tried to send Sam a, a heads up. I don't know if I made yeah. it in time, um, but uh, after I watched it, I went, oh shit, Sam, by the way, um, this is- this I, I did get it, but it was late at night. So I didn't wanna, you know, uh, I, I, I always get weird when people text me late at night because I'm like, are they awake? Are they working? Are they busy? Like, yeah. But I did get it. Yes. Like, yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. But no, I, I didn't know if you would hit it yet, but I was going to, I just okay. wanted to give you that to be like, because uh, I'll be, I'll be honest. My expectations uh, for watching this film were, I thought I was going to watch like Inland Empire. Like that was the sensibilities that I got from, from, from you, Michelle. And that um, I thought it was going to be, um, uh, a, a very, a, an art house type of film, which I think it is, but I, I did not expect uh, this film uh, to be what it was, I think. And, uh, and that took me very much by surprise and uh, it worked. I was uh, very, very disturbed. Um, but uh, no, I did try to, but, uh, but no, and I'm glad I, again, that's something I should have asked. I'm an asshole, but um, I should have asked a bit before that if I, it was okay to summarize it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's ostensibly, uh, the plot of the film. Um, and, uh, so where do you guys want to start, uh, with, uh, with dissecting it? Do you want to start with the, the real heavy stuff and then move backwards? Or do you want to start, uh, and build up to the harder conversation? What do you think, Michelle? What would you, where would you like to start? I would say the harder conversation only because mm -hmm. it just dancing on the tip of my tongue right now so sure sure you know, um so i'd imagine uh and this is the only time i'm gonna like impose myself into this but um i imagine one of the questions that you want to ask that you're not sure how to because I've, I've had people tell me a lot of times i didn't know how to ask afterwards and just ask me anything mm -hmm. um 
is uh, why did I choose to film the rape sequence the way I did? Uh, I think I was going to ask that. Yeah, but um, um, but I, I my assumption on it was um, was to as as sort of a confrontation. I I I I, I read it as. Um, you're putting the audience from the word go, you're putting the audience in the point of view of someone who is ramping up to a sexual assault. Right. Um, and that is a manner, a way, in, in my mind, the way I, I interpreted it was uh, that you're putting the audience in that position so that they confront that in themselves. Work uh, uh, in, in this. I can't hear you. Where did he go? I don't know. And, and yeah, just the idea of that uh, it's a sort of a way of, of confronting the audience of maybe examining whether or not that's uh, something that's inside of them or how they feel about, uh, about that. Um, I, and I don't know. I mean, am I am I on the right track with that, or how did you? Uh, how did what uh, to and to ask your question directly? What? Why did you choose to film it that in that manner? So, if they decide to watch, they can't look away mm -hmm. because the biggest problem with rape culture is people can look away because they're not seeing it happen, and when they see it happen in films, it's kind of built toward a particular gaze it's meant right. to be erotic and tantalizing and i didn't want that i wanted it to be as crude and naked as it actually is like when it happens there aren't lighting and angles and you know what i mean it's right. it's, it's a body and an assailant and you know to take away the romanticism that um, you know, not trying to you know, do shots fired at anyone in particular, but um, when we see it, it, it's just, it's kind of romanticized and eroticized. Mm -hmm. And I'm tired of seeing that. And I vowed I would only make one film like that, where there would be an undetailed rape scene. And I would just, in the scene itself, I would be able to speak my mind as to how I feel about it. And hopefully, have people feel so mortified and understand that, you know, if you look away, you have to consciously choose to look away. Mm -hmm. right. And if you watch, then you have to understand, like, even if you don't have it in you, do you have it in you to enable someone who does? Mm -hmm. Because I find there are a lot of people who truly think the best of themselves and in many ways they are, but so many are willing to excuse people who transgress upon the physical space of someone else and they will make excuses and shame. And I just, I really wanted it to be as crass as possible without having to say a word. Yeah, I so, think yeah. the only word said during the, it is, I think you just know you saying no, right. stop. Um, uh, and yeah, I mean, it goes on for, uh, it's a 
one long continuous shot. There are no edits. It is completely point of view, uh, looking at the victim herself. Um, and uh, it's it's not it's it's interestingly enough, it's not graphic, uh, visually graphic, but it's right. very emotionally graphic um, uh, to the point where I could barely look at the screen. Um, I was uh, so so rocked by it um watching it because i don't think i don't think i expected it to go there um narratively i thought we were we had built up to it mm-hmm. with troy's behavior uh but i i thought in any other film for example of this type of uh, of setup we know a zombie movie's coming uh we've more or less been given all the all the tells of that um I think in any other film, he would have gone to to do this and she would have bitten it, ripped off his face or zombies would have attacked and interrupted it. Um, And I kept expecting that payoff to happen during the scene that she would end up going raw and jumping him and and eating him. Uh, And that does not happen. It it just keeps going. Um, And uh, and that, I think, is is it's brilliant and i think it's it's very brave it's very courageous um it really did uh i couldn't stop thinking about it for i I basically haven't stopped thinking about it for a couple of days now um uh, but and then it jumps into um some uh i'm wondering this is a question for you michelle this is also intentional because i every time we talk to a filmmaker i tend to make reaches and then i turn out to be wrong um and um and i overthink it but um the the rape isn't interrupted by the character of kevin who attacks him but the camera Mm -hmm. in that attack it turns upside down and i'm like oh shit the world just turned upside down this this event has completely flopped uh, completely turned the world upside down quite literally in our viewpoint and then after that the camera's then picked up and then troy places the camera and talks to it directly which I was like, we now have to look in the mirror after this event. Uh, that's what I was sort of taking away from this, these three shots um, that were, I was like, so we're now, we have participated in the assault. We have, uh, we've seen the complete chaos that comes after the assault. And now we have to look at ourselves afterwards. Um, and we look at Troy while well, he makes all of the uh, kind of standard excuses for his behavior directly to the camera um right and uh and so i looked at it as like there was this some really smart work here with perspective and point of view that was very confrontational um was that is that something that you had in mind or am i reading too much that was exactly it that was exactly it and um having to sit there with him Right, because like it reminds you that like, like you said, like you've been party to this Mm. and it's, you know, how many times and I let him, I I let the character go in through all of these excuses that we hear standardly, right? Um, Right. And I wanted people to hear it and ask themselves, after being party to such an instance, who have I heard that from? 
-hmm. Who have I heard that from? And did I take their word for it? Did I help them excuse? And maybe, you know, because I, I think a lot of people, whether they want to admit it or not, have contributed to these things because their favorite person was involved. Mm -hmm. And it's very tragic. And sometimes people realize it. And like, it's an interesting thing watching people realize it. I've had a few people uh, come to me after watching my film telling me that they realized how many they had enabled, you know, and they were taking responsibility for that. And I think that's, that's exactly what I wanted because I'm sorry, you're not going to teach people who want to rape, not to rape. It's not going to happen. No, right. They want to do it. They know it's illegal. They know it's causing someone pain. It's, they're not going to stop. But if you can teach people who instinctually enable, because maybe they don't know any better. Maybe, maybe they don't think it's as bad because they didn't see it for themselves, you know? So it, it's, I really wanted it to just be wholly introspective in a way where if it reaches anyone in particular, I want it to reach the enablers because they are the ones who give the power. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely got that. Um, yeah. and, and definitely, um, it's that's part of why I think it was so powerful uh, was to was for now for me personally, I mean, obviously, I know you socially. So also to to know that that's you on camera also added an aspect to it that maybe I took it a little harder than I than the audience probably should um, as your friend who cares about you and being like, oh, shit. Honestly, I think um, I, I think anybody, no matter social standing or not. I think it would and should hit them in kind of like a gut punch way. Mm -hmm. And luckily. But yeah, so, anyway, we've had, <laughs> I, we've had some, uh, we've had some technical difficulties. So we're going to, we're yeah. going to keep um, rolling here. Um, but it's a little jagged, you know, that's, that's why. It's a little bit why. Yeah. Right. We're, we're professionals and everything. Um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, my, uh, my, 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 my computer doesn't want to behave itself today. So please bear with us folks. And bear with us, Michelle um, and Sam. Obviously, yeah. I hate when it's always on my when it's when it's my my end. Um, well, it's not like you're doing it on purpose. I don't feel oh, like no. it's well, anything to be sorry about. Just Michelle to Michelle, it's sorry you yeah. are doing it on purpose. Right? Um, yeah, obviously. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, but yeah, as I was saying, that uh, the what made the scene really powerful, um, taking myself out of it which was the point I was trying to make was that, yeah, uh, part of me was reacting to it in a very personal manner. But when I tried to take myself out of it and really think about it um, as Abby, the fictional character, uh, that's what I kind of took away from it was that the power of that scene is um, understanding that this is how some other man how other men uh, respond to this uh, and how other men think, how other men behave. Um, uh, and so, yeah, that's, uh, that's Sam, why don't you, uh, why don't you start doing some talking while I figure out what's going on with my microphone? <laughs> Sam's muted. Sam? We haven't, uh, we haven't spoken much about, uh, about Keith yet, but I think he's, you know, a pretty interesting character because he's kind of, 
Um, I don't want to put words in, into your mouth, obviously, or anyone else's, but um, he's, he's, we've kind of alluded to he's the enabler character. Absolutely. And um, I was curious um, if how much of the audience got that on the first watching or or if they had to have it explained to him that, you know, no, he's not the good guy here. You know, he's, he's not as, maybe not as bad as, as, as Troy, but he's definitely a part of this violence that happens. Um, yeah, is, without, without Keith, it mm -hmm. never could have happened. Right. I was curious if the audience, you know, had, was good at picking up on that or if, if there was a, a disconnect because people, often have to have a good guy in a movie, you know, to, to, to grok it. That's the thing about fans of the horror genre. Um, I love the horror genre and the horror genre fandom is the one fandom, honestly, that I am comfortable in. Uh, you don't get a lot of like, the line is drawn here and if you trespass, <laughs> you shall perish. None right. of that like it's like you like Freddy Krueger it's like yeah I like Jason Voorhees you know and so I that camaraderie but like I'm I'm, I'm straying from the question I'm sorry uh ultimately luckily fans of the horror genre tend to be some of the most intelligent cinephiles that I have ever had the pleasure of interacting with so I I have not actually had to break it down. Like every single time uh, I've, I've had people go, hey, yo, I just realized I was a Keith and it's not right. gonna happen again. And I'm like, that's really cool. You know, and then other times, uh, you know, they'll be like, I just realized my best friend is a Keith. And I'm like, I'm well, so sorry. You, you know, as, as sad as it is that people have you know find themselves saying that i'm a keith or i know a keith um it's got to be kind of a beautiful thing to know that your your film's done that for someone you know open their eyes to it exactly that because you know even if if you can go your entire life and at least save just one person help just one person make a difference for just one person then that's a life well lived and so knowing that people are seeing that and that they're telling me about it, it's cathartic because yeah. it's, it's, it's the only thing I wanted. And I wish I could do it on a bigger level. I wish I could reach a larger audience and I'm going to keep trying, you know, but at the same time, I'm a little indie bug and I don't really have expectations. I just have hopes and dreams. And for now, if that's the best I can accomplish, then that's pretty good, I think, I hope. I think it's great. I mean, um, I think it's a very effective film. Um, I was, I myself am a, am a survivor of child sexual abuse and child uh, violence. Um, so it got a little, it was a little iffy to watch, you know, some of that, some of that stuff, but um, it, it came across, um, as being made by someone who knows what they're talking about, um, you know, who knows it's not it's not an exploitation thing. It's not a I'm going to shock and, and horrify you just because I can kind of thing. It's it's the message came through spectacularly. I thought in in that way. That means a lot. 
that's that means a lot. Nathaniel, you, how's your audio uh, I doing? I think it's a little bit better. Anybody hear me? We can hear you. It's okay. Sound a little far away, but try try one more time. Better? Absolutely better. Okay. I had to change mics, but I was I was listening the whole time. I heard I heard all the conversation. I just had to try to figure out microphone stuff. So I'm really sorry about that, but I was listening. Um, and I agree. Um, and uh, uh, that I wrote down quite a bit about the character of Kevin, um, uh, it being that um, the quote the nice guy. It's during his uh, his conversation uh, during uh, earlier buildups and conversation with uh, with these characters about him being um, you know he's the one that he he gets like mad at him about it but he doesn't do anything about it um, he's the guy that quote you know kind of no I respect women but I don't behave like I respect right. women it's um, it's it's a very uh, and he's kind of browbeaten by Troy as well. I mean, you know, yeah, he never calls him, he never calls him Keith. He calls him Queef the whole time. Queef, I mean, yeah. exactly, exactly. Oh my gosh, I'm so glad you said that. Um, that's the one thing, one thing that I I wish more people would pick up on is uh, Keith. Though he's an enabler, how did he get conditioned into being an enabler? Right. right abusers you know people like that they don't just have the person that they're physically hurting right? right there's all the people around them are being gaslit conditioned and abused in their own ways like everyone in proximity is going to experience some form of mistreatment and right. especially conditioning and so like you can feel bad for keith and understand that but also understand that like all along he had the choice to be like, no, no, I'm not going to be spoken to this way. Right. No, I'm not going to hang out with someone who talks about women this way, you know, because it's all about the conscious decision. And the difference is, is as an enabler, you have every choice to walk away consequence free. You just lose that friend. And so I, I wanted to shed light on like, yeah, you're being abused too, but also your situation is different because you can walk away. You can walk away and right. not these situations up for them. So it's I'm so glad you I'm so glad you picked up on that. Thank you so much. So, thank you. It's a, it's a great film. It's it's very nuanced in that way. Um, yeah, I mean, like even even if you look at it from the most shallow perspective, you know, if let's say you know Nathaniel and I are going on a road trip and you know. I've got a girl with me that I'm kind of, you know, digging on. Like, you know, if, if he started talking to me that way, like immediately, I'd be like, dude, what the hell is wrong with you? Stop. Right. You know, right. Or and vice versa. If the situation was reversed, but you know, here he, he lets it happen. He lets it happen. He lets it, lets the line be pushed and pushed and pushed um, out of, you know, what would, like you said, you know, being trained that way. And uh, also just, you know, being scared to take that step. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And, and yeah, the, um, and the way that he responds, he responds to Troy. Uh, and obviously I think, I mean, Troy's the villain here, uh, really more than more so than anybody else, but yeah, I mean, there is so many scenes of in which Kevin could have, and kind of attempts to 
tell Troy to cut it out. But you get the impression right away that you're kind of like Troy's like, okay, so we're going to get this girl and, uh, and, and I'm going to get Keith with that girl. But then it quickly becomes hit, Troy hitting on Abby himself. Right. Um, and, uh, and then of course the, the reveal of, uh, that, you know, with him saying at the end that he, they, he, apparently his plan the whole time was for the both of them to have Abby, which I yeah, was like, I was, I was going to share her, which is, you know, just which is disgusting. Really, really but, disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't have words for how, how gross that, that sort of mindset is. Um, yeah. but I don't think I need to in this room. I think we all know that that's right. just a disgusting mindset. Yeah. It, Abusers actually really uh, statistically uh, like camaraderie, so yeah, it uh, they they find each other for a reason. Like uh, different kinds of abusers find each other and share materials, right. right? It's you know, so so that's that's what I was playing on right there, and you know, him hoping that it's his best friend. He'd been testing his boundaries for this many years seeing how malleable he is so he thought maybe you know mm -hmm. like maybe this guy's that guy and you know because you can tell like at that point he probably hadn't ever done anything of that caliber like Troy's probably done things right. but taking it that far yeah. no he was too shocked you know, and yeah. too surprised that, like, no, this isn't just how everybody thinks, and you know, and, and and it also plays into the whole like, if you laugh when someone makes a rape joke or a racist joke or a, a sexist joke, you're telling that person that it's funny to you, and right, and then what they're doing is okay. Exactly. Something that's funny is borderline unacceptable. And then eventually the lines disappear, you know? And so it's, mm -hmm. I really, really wanted to tackle that. Like there were quite a few things that I kind of stuffed into this fucked up teddy bear of a film, you know? And I, I, I had hoped that it wasn't like where the fluff was coming out, but no. I'm no. clear. Yeah. I think it was stuffed in just the right way. I think <laughs> not, yeah. not overfilled. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, let's jump over to, uh, there's something else that I kind of wanted to talk about that's a little less heady, actually. Uh, some stuff that I thought was really, really uh, interesting to discuss. Um, I had written down of uh, how you play with genre and genre convention in this film, um, which I thought was really interesting. Um, you they make uh so one of the sort of subplots of this film is that troy uh suggests they should first of all say like well we'll just get some ketchup packets and make a low budget horror film um which i thought was you goofing a little bit on independent cinema and the way people look at independent horror films um was that was that kind of your intention yeah, yeah. yeah. it's there's there's a couple of like you know parts where I was like <laughs> it's funny and I've had a couple of people be like I don't I don't understand why you think that part's funny like why would why did you put anything trying to be funny in it and I'm like because it's fucked up and like mm -hmm. I just giggle so <laughs> right. 
Well, it, 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 it's, I think it, so I mean, yeah, that part, that, that part's funny, but then when the conversation about making these films comes up, they're very in tune with, uh, with what's going on in the, in the film and where the film is going. Uh, you know, when they're, they're around the campfire and, um, and Troy suggests, what about a revenge film? Right. And Abby's like, I don't know what that is. And he describes it in such a manner that the people, that people who, again, once again, sort of like Troy becomes an audience member who is not uh, familiar really with what all of that's supposed to mean. Um, his description of it is, you know, a woman gets raped. She then takes abuse and on, she takes revenge on her people and there's no subtext or nuance or, or anything in his description. Um, that and then you go on to like her reluctantly agreeing to it because Abby is is um, Abby's such a, a tragic character I think um, uh, and uh, my heart went out to her the whole movie but uh, she reluctantly agrees to it and so they bind her wrists and then she to her credit actually does draw a line on her boundaries in that scene um, but the whole thing is is it's works on a couple of different levels because one, I think that you're, you're kind of suggesting that's what this film is going to be, which I guess it kind of is. Um, but uh, one of the greater points of, the, of what I'm talking about is that this, this uh, film plays with these genres in almost a sense of foreshadowing, it does literally foreshadow what happens, but it's also foreshadowing what's not really gonna happen. Because I think we watch this movie thinking the threats coming from outside, um, that these three people are all going to be killed by uh, zombies or by backwoods hicks. Uh, you know that when he says it's going to be a revenge film, we're thinking, okay, that's going to happen, right? Um, is that making sense? Am I making sense? Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Okay, um, but yeah, I think it's interesting that uh, that you you talk about these things but it's also it is foreshadowing what's going to happen but it's also foreshadowing what's not going to happen um and i think that that's very fascinating to me as a as a viewer that um were you making a statement on revenge films in a way or yeah um okay so i love revenge horror that's the other subgenre that i love um but also uh I I think, well, I know a a good portion of it was commentary about revenge horror. Again, uh, to reiterate uh, the rape scene and the reason why I chose to film it versus how it's normally filmed in a rape revenge film. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And uh, the, the overall, just a lot of rape revenge films is, you know, um, look at her butt, look at her boobs, da, 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 da. now she's raped. Now she's going to look extra hot while she gets ready to go beat them up or, you know. Um, so it's, yeah, I wanted it to be along those lines of like just a sideways commentary. Um, not that I don't love the genre, but there are things within the genre I could personally do without. So that's where my commentary was there. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And I think it's well, I think it's well done. Um, 
you know, and, and like, and I think that that also, again, speaks to the way the characters respond to it. Um, like I said, Troy is very much the type of fan who probably would like revenge horror for all the wrong reasons. Right. Um, exactly. Right. And his idea of that is to, is to basically just place this poor young woman into a really uncomfortable position. Um, and, uh, but also the, uh, you did the same thing with zombie films where their one attempt to make a zombie film is goofy and silly. Mm-hmm. Uh, it leads to a fight, which is not goofy and silly, but, um, but like Abby is, is laughing. She's having a good time with it where she's supposed to be screaming and yelling. Uh, was that you also kind of poking fun at the, the zombie genre as well? A bit. Um, you know, it's, I've seen some, I've seen some zombie movies that um, they are in my collection. I watch them regularly, but I get picked on for them because I love them. So um, it's, you know, so it, it was one of those things where it was like, also, I, I, I kind of wanted to capture like <sighs> the fun feeling of venturing into the idea of having a camera in your hand and being like, I could make a movie if I wanted to. I should try to make a movie if I want to. I'm gonna make a movie. So, you know, I wanted to capture that feeling because that the first time you realize it and the first time you do it, oh my fucking God, it's just really cool. It's, it's, a, it's an amazing feeling. And it's also commentary because like, sometimes you find out, you know, that some of the people that you worked with aren't the people you thought they were you know and that happens in the industry all the time and including indie films so you know it's kind of like uh you know even upon rewatch there's like there you there is just a little twinkle in that sequence like almost a sense of like a journey into the unknown kind of magic you Mm -hmm. know and so I, I really, you know, I, I thought it was fun. Yeah, and it was. It's actually one of the lighter, one of the few light moments of the movie, I think, um, is, is the zombie film, filming sequence. Um, and, uh, and I thought it was, uh, and I just, I, I think that it was very interesting to, uh, to invoke these genres in, in a reflective manner. I, 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 if to, for lack of maybe a better word. Um, and I just thought it was interesting that you played with those conventions uh, as, a, as a device uh, while later invoking them, but also sort of not invoking them, if that makes sense. I, uh, I like, I, I just think that that was very clever. But um, yeah, and I wanted to talk about, I, one thing you also I think that you did in this movie that uh, I haven't seen done before is in conversation about, about film, you've got a, a, a different point of reference. Um, Abby has references to make, but they're not references that horror geeks would get really. I mean, Read for Madness, everybody knows Read for Madness, I right. guess. But, but I thought that that was interesting that you have, you know, Troy and Keith name dropping or making references to popular culture and Abby being like, I don't know what that means, 
Uh, but, oh, I actually have this experience that I can reference that is somewhat comparable. Um, I've never, I don't think I've ever seen that type of interaction uh, before in a film. I thought that was very interesting. Um, I don't know if I'm explaining it well, but, um, but I like the idea of, of Abby kind of being like, I have, I have my own form of reference humor. I can add to this conversation. Um, I, it's, it's, it's a kind of a, I felt it was sort of like a commentary on the different manners in which we, different people view the world. And it's very easy for us as genre geeks to kind of be like, well, everybody gets our references, but then you talk to people that don't, they don't get your references, but they have their own references that we don't get. Um, I just thought that was really interesting. I don't know if that's, if it's conversation worthy, but I, <laughs> I thought it was interesting. <laughs> it's, uh, she has her own set of experiences. Um, with Abby, uh, she was, she was my little lamb. You know, is the best way I could describe her is she is my little sacrificial lamb and like to the genre. And it was basically, I, I set out to create this sheltered and uh, just naive, but kind, you know, girl, you know, like essentially put together the 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 elusive perfect victim if that makes sense like she doesn't back talk she's agreeable she does everything that society says she should do but i gave her one flaw and that flaw is naivety because even though she's a perfect victim there are still some people who are like why did she go on that trip with those boys without taking into consideration, well, uh, she's been sheltered her entire life. She's in school and she wants to have adult experiences. Like there are things that she should have already experienced that she hasn't. And she's almost alien swimming in this world of like esoteric pop culture references. And, you know, and all she's got is family and church and the farm and, you know, so it's, I wanted her to be just kind of a punctuation point, if that makes sense to any question a person would ask about a victim or a survivor. That's, she represents every woman and, you know, just the way that it is so hard to figure out what the expectations are. And the fact that she's hanging out with people who she doesn't even share esoteric references with people is found questionable. And I was like, well, why? Why would that be questionable? Because right. everybody has subjective experiences and you have to go out there and meet other people. And when you're meeting other people, there are going to be instances like this and you're going to need to look at them like human and not like eh, aliens. Right. Yeah, and uh, it's it's actually I, I had that conversation at my new job. There was a, a a waiter who was talking to my boss about uh, there was a woman at the bar that evening uh, who may have gone up, uh, may have actually uh, hooked up with another guy, but you know, but he and the waiter was saying like the guy was way too drunk, so probably nothing happened. 
but he basically said like and and my boss basically said like well how do you know that she went up there with him to have sex with him and he was like well what other reason is there for a woman to get drunk alone at a bar and i uh, and he was like my man here he agrees with me and points at me and i'm like no i don't <laughs> um i'm like why shouldn't a woman be allowed to just have a drink and be social without worrying about it turning into a sexual uh a sexual encounter and my boss was like, see, he gets it. And I'm like, yeah, it's not hard to get, actually. It's just right. called women are also people. Uh, it's no different for a woman to go to a bar and get drunk than it is for a man to go to a bar and get drunk by themselves. Um, but yeah, and so that's what I'm looking at is I'm like, and I, I, I knew that, you know, someone would at that somewhere out there, someone watches this film and says, well, wait, well, she's asking for it. She's right. hanging out with these two guys she doesn't know. And she's willing to experiment with, you know, with their rituals. She's going to drink their vodka. She's going to you know, smoke their pot. Uh, and, and I'm like, well, she, but if, it, if the genders were reversed and it was, it, the man would not be questionable to do that. You know, if, right. if, or, or in any, in any alteration of that, if it were to be question for a man in that situation, would they, they'd be questioning it, but they're like, well, why haven't you done this 800,000 times before? Right. You know? right. But no, but I mean, uh, but also like if you, met, if you were hanging out with two guys that you just met and they were like, mm -hmm. Hey, do you want to drink? Uh, you wouldn't be like, uh, it, it wouldn't, nobody, nobody would observe you going, well, what's he doing? Right. He doesn't even know these guys like he could be in danger. No, that doesn't. That's not how it works for right. for us or for two women being like, do you want to get drunk with us? It wouldn't be it wouldn't be odd. We wouldn't be like, well, I don't know. Are you too safe? Uh, you know, right. it's but only if it's a woman with two men, then all of a sudden that perspective changes. Um, There's a reason, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, and but yeah, I mean, I thought that that was. And that's what makes the whole thing kind of sad, I think. Uh, I mean, it's not kind of sad. It is sad. It's a sad movie, um, uh, in a manner of speaking, anyway. I mean, it is sad because ultimately, Abby, the, the guy at the end does say he shot Abby in the head. So right. um, otherwise, I would say, well, Abby, maybe Abby's happier as a zombie. I don't know. But, um, but uh, <laughs> you know, I'm certainly happy that Troy is murdered by Abby as a zombie. I think that's great. But... Right. Um, um, but otherwise the, the film is, cause I, I, I really like the character of Abby and I like what you did with her. Um, especially I noted it in my notes quite a few times about how she does things that, uh, I've noticed a lot of not just women, but men too. I do it all the time. Uh, as a traumatized man, uh, she apologizes for everything. Um, Everything that happens, she says, is her fault. Even the zombie attack in the bathroom, she says, maybe I looked at her the wrong way. Maybe I did something wrong. Um, and I was like, you know, I'm like, oh, my God, like, that's how so many people with, like, trauma respond to things is like, did I do something wrong? Uh, you know. Uh, sorry, what yeah. was that? It's a fawning response. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, even when she, she draws boundaries in the, the revenge film scene where they're like, she's like, I don't feel, I no longer feel comfortable with this. She's like, I'm sorry. She says it like four times. Um, I'm sorry. I can't participate in this. And, um, it's, uh, it's such an interesting character, uh, trait that is very real and makes the, adds the, adds credibility and, and reality to the whole scenario. 
Um, but it's what makes the film sad is that, you know, it's, you realize that her experience is so uh, uh, indicative of gender behavior. And, um, and these are to a, to an extent archetypes, uh, even, even Troy and Keith are certain archetypical masculine responses to women. Um, I had noted in my notes, uh, Troy is using negging quite frequently, uh, which is something that douchebags do. Yeah. Uh, that douchebag men do to, you know, go and insult the woman so that she, her self-esteem drops so that he that she'll be easier to sleep with um again i think i don't have to uh, uh don't have to say that in this room that that's gross as hell but um but and no he nags, it, and he's nagging keith for this to make him work yeah. fine as well i mean yeah oh yeah totally yeah yep. um and uh but keith um as as has been pointed out keith doesn't um doesn't, doesn't yeah he doesn't yeah. doesn't do what um, yeah yeah, he doesn't. Yeah. He thinks he's a lot. He thinks he's tougher than he is, and won't right. uh, won't step up. Um, but um, uh, but yeah, I mean that's what was sort of my 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 thought process was that this the uh, is that what makes this film work and what makes the pacing of this film work is that it is so archetypical of certain gender responses within a within social settings particularly in isolated social setting, um, which also was another thing I had noted about genre, uh, genre conventions is that the characters uh, uh, always have to do that one dumb thing, which is stop in the abandoned town and decide to hang out. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, right. I was like, I'm watching this movie going, um, no, uh, you know, if, if Sam and I were on a road trip and we stopped and I, hey, there's no one in this town, we'd be like, we're going to keep driving. Right. Like that probably means something terrible has happened. They don't question that at all. Um, and, uh, you know, yeah, you can kind of, you can kind of uh, maybe buy that from Abby, but also that isolation is so crucial to the narrative um, because it's, I think that Troy would never try anything like this unless it was isolated. He wasn't right. isolated. Um by the way, I thought that was going to be the zenith. I thought that was going to be the most uncomfortable when they go for the walk and he starts describing sexual behavior to her. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was going to be, that's as far as this one was going to go. <laughs> um, that, yeah. And I was like, so when we went further, I was like, oh my God. Okay. Um, but yeah. Uh, uh, maybe talk a little bit about that. How did, did you just film it at, in a town in the middle of the night or? Um, actually, it was filmed in two different towns, uh, Skykomish and uh, the Blue Mountains, Oregon. And um, situationally, uh, the Blue Mountains were dealing with uh, the forest fires oh. in 2015. So uh, a lot of the smoky ambiance that you saw, that was from the fires. Um, we weren't able to uh, change the dates or anything so you know um, but the people weren't unhappy about you know uh, the crew's presence okay. so yeah it, it was an interesting experience um, it's I, I, I can't say I've ever been that close to 
uh, a raging forest fire before. So it was strange, you know. Um, Is it like visible like right off camera or like? It, it in certain areas it was. Oh wow, okay. Uh, to get to uh, a lot of the area, there wasn't cell reception. So there was one area on the road I had to get there uh, where there were like barricades of like fire trucks and stuff uh, to get to a spot to be able to check in with home. Mm-hmm. And um, it was kind of scary, to be honest. Uh, that experience was, it was strange. And it had me kind of wondering like, wow, what's, <laughs> what's going to what's going to happen next. Right. And then um, when it was time for Skykomish, uh, there was a big blizzard and windstorm and it like knocked their power out and stuff. So uh, when I found that out, I um, asked them if they needed like canned goods, candles, jackets, blankets, you know, and collected right. uh, what could be collected and brought it to them. They were very kind um and it's a really nice place so they were actually the street was all shut down it was going to be shut down anyways uh uh, because i had acquired the permit to shut the town down and it just so happened to coincide when they didn't need the streets anyways because of the storm that happened and oddly enough um, it was a really clear night for filming and that's the uh scene with the uh the barrel the the barrel fire in the mm-hmm. middle of the road next to the stop sign and i thought it was funny to film next to the stop sign i was like just let's you know i want to put a big fucking symbol <laughs> in, in their face like right. you know if, if there's anything telling me to stop send me a sign and there's a big fucking stop sign right there so i thought it was funny mm-hmm. um there's little things i i slipped in and out that like i personally thought was funny you know it's i i can't really help they're they're my little mcguffins mm-hmm. you know and um but yeah so uh, both both cities were very kind and accommodating and um and that's that's how that was able to be accomplished so i'm really grateful to yeah. those people mm-hmm. Sam, is there anything you wanted to bring up specifically? Uh, no, I think we covered it all I'm, that, I, that I had written down. Okay. Uh, I did want to touch on one more, uh, on two more little things that I just mm-hmm. liked. Um, uh, there's a me- great metaphor um, when Abby is hungover. They talk about their first time that I just thought was really clever. Uh, it, it, it's, a, it's just a strong metaphor. What we're talking about is, you know, for... You know, Abby, it's her first time with a hangover. Uh, it's humiliating and painful. And they start joking about their first time is this sort of raucous uh, uh, animal house kind of response. And I was like, oh, what, what, I mean, hmm, what are we really talking about here? Right. You know, um, but uh, it's it was just a great, uh, I just thought it was a really strong metaphor. And I really liked that uh, connection. And uh, there's a shot uh, that I think is just really well done of um, Abby is passed down in the back and uh, the cleavage is, is very visible, but there's a cross necklace like right in the middle of it right. uh, where uh, then Troy decides to try to feel her up. 
while she's passed out. But I just love that. What's that? He sexually assaults her. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But I love the. I just loved the the uh, the the visual of the cross in the cleavage as again kind of a, a stop sign, you right. know. Uh, but I just thought it was a really great, uh, uh, just a really great image uh, that I thought really uh, uh, summed up the film nicely. Um, and uh, yeah, it's. It, I think it's a great film. Um, I, I, I think it's absolutely brilliant. Uh, do you have, uh, is there anything that um, you might do differently? Maybe that's our last question. If you could do it now, like, would you make different, would there be any choices maybe you would uh, make differently in, in production of the film? Probably a lot. Yeah. But, um, you know, what's, it's, it, it's done. Right. Right. You know, um, if I now, as far as like, if I were to venture on to another found footage film, I did. Um, I'm working on a trilogy with Tanya Atomic. Mm -hmm. She directed uh, Plain Devils and um, Manos Returns, the official sequel to Manos. Oh, Thing. nice. Yeah, she's. She's beautiful. She's brilliant. Oh, I love her so much. And um, we made 333 Illuminati, which is a found footage film. Yep. And that one was a lot of fun because when it comes to certain types of filming, I like experimenting. And Tanya's phenomenal to work with because she really indulges me. And, you know, so if I get like some kind of idea, she's like, let's do it. Let's go. And um, with 333 Illuminati, we did a real world immersion film. Mm -hmm. So what that means is we, uh, we gave ourselves one chance, one take for each scene. Okay, so every scene that you saw was only shot once. That includes mm -hmm. random strangers who are like bumping into the back of the scene and you can hear their background voices and stuff or their shadows in the backdrop that's really happening in the real world. We had no control over that. And what we ended up getting was something I think really fantastic. And uh, Deborah Lamb is also in it. Uh, hex hypoxia, uh, or no, not hex, I'm sorry, not hex hypoxia. That's a, that's a model from like 2010. I'm so sorry, I, I love her. Anyways, that's neither here nor there. Hex Harris, I'm an asshole, Hex Harris. And they are amazing. They are uh, an incredible, uh, they do fashion design and they work for, uh, they work with Dylan Marge Greenberg on a lot of stuff for Troma. So we were very, very fortunate to have them um, in it. And they actually play Bloody Mary, uh, which was really cool. And um, it's connected to the Unilateralis universe. So, you know, they're, they're part of the same universe. So there's a reason uh, why the character I play looks like the other character I play because it's in the same universe. But yeah. also, yeah, it, it, it's, I found, I found myself truly enjoying myself with 333 Illuminati and uh, working with Tanya. That was our second film together. And um, 
yeah, is so if there was anything I could do over again, I think uh, I did with 333 Illuminati, if that makes sense. And sure. um, so it's really fun. Uh, we released the short version. It's won a lot of awards, mm-hmm. like a lot of awards. And um, the full feature version is coming out soon. We were going to present it in 2020, but as we know, some stuff happened. Yeah. Yeah. So- Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so we're actually still in post on that. And then we have two more for that for the trilogy. And they will actually tie into Oyunilateralis quite fully. Nice. And okay. so I'm really excited about that. And then I have a sequel to Oyunilateralis that I'm working on now that I actually had started working on simultaneously in 2012. So I'm actually really excited about that. Um, I, I do believe um, just one, it's not just because of my limited budget, right? But mm-hmm. it's more because of how much I love the found footage genre, you know, and it just conveniently, my love for it coincides with my lack of cash. <laughs> so, right. well, sometimes it works out right, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, when you get those uh, those projects uh, out and ready to go, uh, remember us, okay? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, well, absolutely. Uh, okay. So, uh, where can where can people find you if they want to get a copy of uh, this this film? Oh, that's the elusive part. Yes. It's um, uh, I do it when people are able to locate the right email. Uh, okay. Find the right email. If they go to my publication site for thebloodshed.com. For thebloodshed.com, all one word. Um, hang on. I know it's bad. I should know how to spell my own address, but apparently I don't. Um, so the and then a dash. Wait, no, no. Wait, hang on. <laughs> the blood for one word. Dash shed.com and if you go to that website there will be a contact thing see i'm giving it all away oh i I didn't mean for you to give everything away i just i know oh no it's good it's good good i i can't fool myself into thinking i'm interesting enough to be elusive that's not (laughs) it's not fair to me when yes yes you are you know but um yeah so they can contact me through there and um i am I do contact the shelter to make sure that the receipt is real. I had someone claim to contribute $150 and they sent me a receipt and they contributed $1. Ooh, so, and they nice. Misplaced decimal point there, right? Yeah. I'm sure. I don't know why they did that. I was like, man, it's just $25 to help some people. Let's right. do this. Well, we'll make sure we'll make sure there's one made in the name of uh, at the devil's ball. I was gonna say, by all means, you know, you you were kind enough to send me a copy of this film. I I, I want to contribute, so let me know. Yeah, we'll make sure that happens. I got the I, I did I did technically pay for the film, but I I think you had offered offered it to people who were willing to help you fund your cats. Uh, no. No, that's no, I was uh, I sent that one to you as a bonus because oh. you said you wanted to see it. 
but I sold you uh, a bundle of my short films. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I was like, Here's a bonus. Please don't share it. Yeah. Don't let it get online because I use it for charity. Oh no, not at all. Yeah. No. No. <laughs> but I, I gave I gave money towards uh, your cat's uh, uh, surgery or something. But yeah, yeah, she um that that was fucking stupid. I love my cat, <laughs> but no, what happened was cause she just she just turned two like in may like she and i have like the same birthday and then um she so when that happened she was like one and um she i got her some new kitty litter and i guess she just really thought it was banging so she ate the kitty litter oh jeez so it like mucked up her tummy and so she was like drooling and i was like i don't know what's happening and I reacted like a parent with their first child and right. I ran her to the emergency. Right. And they, they were like, well, your cat likes to eat litter. And I was just like, what do you mean? Like, they're like, yeah, your cat, your cat just ate some litter. She's fine. Oh, my. And I was like, well, I'm so glad that I paid uh, like, you know, rent yeah. worth of money to be told that my cat doesn't know how to not eat shit dirt. <laughs> so, She's actually very smart, like a velociraptor. She's very important. Her name is Ishka Bapalopoulos. She's named after Ishka from Star Trek DS9. You know, the, the mother of Quark. Yes. Yeah. Moogie. It's Moogie. Yep. And so uh, I love her for like what she represents in Star Trek feminism. So I named my cat after her. And she's actually very smart. And she's kind of giving me the look. She knows I'm talking shit. <laughs> Just tell her you're talking about Quark's mom. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay then. Um, so yeah, they can they can find you. They can decode the they decode the uh, 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 clues and uh, yep. find your email address and and donate to uh, Women's Shelter and they can get a copy of the unreleased uh, early version. Of yes. Lateralis. And that, uh, do you have a, a tentative release date as to when the movie will be distributed? I do not. You do not. Okay. Right. So stay tuned. Has been very wonderfully patient with me. Okay. Well, it's on. It's on its way at any rate. So, uh, so yeah. So look for that. And uh, so, Sam, you want to take us out? Yeah. Um, w- once again, thank you so much for being here. Um, mm-hmm. It was just wonderful to talk to you. A wonderful film. Uh, guys, check it out um it's it's not what you're expecting um it's, yeah. it's not what you're expecting um we we touched upon you know sometimes people have ideas of you know diy and uh found footage films of being of poor quality or just being silly or dumb this is not this um it's a very smart film it's a very well-made film um it's the kind of film i would show to people to to get them to stop talking crap about found footage films in general because mm-hmm. um, there's too many people who do that still yeah how, how many years later since this, the genre started people still talk crap about it mm-hmm. but anyways um thank you so much for listening um please like i said find those links and donate if you can uh tell people about this film if you can um do whatever you can to, to help us out uh with that i say you know be kind rewind but mostly be kind thank you
Thank you.